0: when the sun rises i wake up and chase my dreams i won't regret when the sun sets because i live my life like i'm a beast
1: this is the sales mall podcast your hosts jerry hill and ryan reicher talk about the sales game and always keep it real Another week, another oh, another week older, another week wiser. What, what's the good news, Ryan?
0: Oh man, on my side, I am, you know, I'm really starting to see uh, some momentum here. Um, I put some work into uh, understanding the, uh, the the entire impact of the work that I'm doing, and it's been pretty pretty great. I was up till, or I was up at like one a.m. earlier this week, and I put together a little ebook on, uh, you know, the idea of activating your data, um, and the impact of that, that downstream impact, cause it's not just about who picks up the phone, but it's about knowing all the other channels as we've talked about before and what to do to operationalize your, um, your systems. And we talked about this last week, I think with the sequencers and, um, I guess some really good feedback on that. And I think it's going to be a, a big win uh, as we put the data together on what that yeah. means to the impact of the companies that I'm working with and and their ability to just be as, as efficient as possible and, and actually serve their, um, their market better, right. Be smarter with targeting and um, and it's less time getting to the no's and the yeses and the, the outcomes, right. The completions. So I'm pretty fired up mm-hmm. about that. What, you're, you've been on vacay. Yeah.
1: Yeah, but I've been I've been using that time to sort of go back over some thoughts and, and release some goal setting and, and do some other bits. Um you know, running hot for 18 months with without much of a break. And this isn't hustle born, but I was still closing deals when my son had been born in hospital, right? Like it's um you know important to, to take that time away, but it, it's also an opportunity to not necessarily Completely switch off to take a different approach and re-revisit goals and ambitions and, and, and sort of document those. And I've just been thinking significantly at the cost burden that companies face by getting the three-legged stool wrong, which is recruitment, data, and execution. And you know, I'm I'm working with a lot of private equity portfolio companies at the moment. And the hiring plans, one of them's got a hiring plan for 150 outside reps this year
0: 150
1: yeah small market like big big capitalization, big refund massive global powerhouses of private equity involved in this in this business the imperative is growth but 150 people why do people struggle to hire one
0: well yeah and, and i know we want to talk about what you should do to get to the one, but I'm actually genuinely curious. How did they come up with that number of 150? What was the, what was the maths, the plan for that? I mean, you mentioned a smaller market. So is that something that they took the time? I'm always very interested in this, this concept. Did they take the time to actually realize that the unit production from a rep is X and we expect Y and there's so much opportunity or would they just like hey today an a, a rep produces so much revenue and we need to get to so much revenue so mm-hmm. it's that times 150 ah oh, we're good.
1: I mean my, my my sense is it's the latter. And then that could be thinking about recruitment which is daily like Something I'm very passionate about because I, I see too many people do it badly. And I see too many people do this, this exercise, which is coverage, coverage, coverage. Coverage, coverage, coverage. Great. But what about churn? What about predictive of success? What about assessment? What about a process? Right? So you and I have got perspectives because we've done it badly, we've done it well. Here's the hypothesis. The top 1% to 2% of sales talent, and it's probably the last time today I use that word, not actively looking for a job in your 150-person army that you're currently recruiting. Okay? That means that there's now beta talent that you have to recruit from. And what are you recruiting against? You're recruiting against past success, ability to execute a 2 two step into the process and the presentation generally a 90 30 60 90 plan and yet everyone sort of pulls out their last remaining hair where at 60 days after you've hired this person they haven't worked out which means the 150 that you need is probably closer to 300 people mm-hmm. by the time you've factored that sort of out of the business how do you, how do you Overcome that. Now I know why people like that model because it's status quo. It feeds services industries, it feeds recruiters, it feeds in-house talent teams right now, or LinkedIn. But it has got to be a better way, right? Right?
0: You know, I I think it's fascinating. I don't I don't know the problem from that perspective. You know, I haven't built a team of one hundred and fifty, um, but you know I've 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 built a team of thirty um, and so you know it starts with one and you know one becomes two and so on and so forth uh just like sales and how you attack your sales quota like you know quality of of the inputs are gonna dramatically improve the quality of the outputs and and reduce some of those crazy statistics that you're you're, you're spitting out here right? You know, the data shows in any of these reports to year over, year over, year over, year that everything you just said, right? 50% of reps make quota or some sort of version of that. You know, you got to hire two to keep one. They're gone in 18 to 24 months anyway. And, you know, that's, that's a really tough business to be in. And, uh, you know, for me, I think the approach is always, uh, and actually it's been, a, a recent book that I read, which I think folks who are thinking about this problem right now should, should pick up uh, is the book, The Attributes uh, by Rich DeVinney, uh, Navy SEAL uh, commander who talks about how, you know, skill, the difference between skills and attributes. And with, we're talking about beta talent with salespeople um, and maybe even C's and D's that slip in here, right? Some of those are the best Folks at interviews and getting through this structured process you're talking about because they've done it so many times, they've done that process more than they've actually been out there selling. You know, they they've closed their best deals that they've closed in their career are the jobs that they keep getting, and they're selling themselves up the food chain every year or two to a better deal, but they've never actually had success in a sales position, um, and and those are the tough ones to get through. So, you know, the skills are there, the skills are high, but what are the attributes of the team that you're trying to build? And and in books, in in Davini's book, he talks about the attributes of high performing teams. And like, you've got to understand what that looks like for your culture. And then in the process, how can you stress test against those attributes, not the skills, right? Skills can be learned, but what are the things that you can do in that process to really eke out? Is this the person that has the the attributes necessary to, to be successful in the role that you're looking to fill. And now I don't know what this particular 150 sales organizations job is going to be right. Um, you know, sales is defined uh, in in a lot of organizations in a very vague way. Yeah. Outside sales rep. What does that really mean? What are they supposed to be doing? What is their, what is their work to be done? Um, and, uh, what are we expecting them to to do as a part of this larger organization as a part of a larger team? I think that's the biggest challenge because, you know, that's where the debate comes from like high performing sales individuals who do a good job of bringing in revenue, the rock star closer, but is that what you need? Uh, Or are there other impacts of someone who comes in and brings on deals at all costs and things like that? You know, what does that mean in two three years down the road um, is there a churn issue is there uh, you know whatever it might be right uh, yeah. how much how, how much of that business is relying on that individual who now kind of gets you at the mercy of their their will if you will those all those things come into play but it's an interesting problem I, I honestly don't have the answers to the bigger one but I do know that like anything in life how do you eat an elephant it's kind of one bite at a time so how do you create that that structure of it's not about hiring the 150, it's about hiring the one each time, right? And then, you know, if I'm in that position, it's, you know, how do you get a better one each time?
1: Mm. You know? Yeah. I am. Um, I worry for that though. I worry for the mindset which says, right, we need 150, because it doesn't sound like there's due thought being applied. It's we we need to have a visible way of putting our capital to work. The way that we identify with growth out of the spreadsheet is we can allocate that to a headcount number in a column. And we can say, if 150 people do this, then we get that at 80% of the target, which is... At some point. Yeah. Yeah, at some point in the future. And I had a conversation with with an executive from a major global CRM company that seems to be employing everybody under the sun today. I think one day we'll all end up working for them. San Francisco based. They, they've got a UK and ISM e-, e team of about 400 reps. You know, I find some of the same territory for connectors held by myself 400. And the expectation is that they're going to get to 70% of the target or 100% of the target. I mean, Each. Yeah. What's the point? What's the point of having them if you're not going to create an environment where they can get to 100% of the target?
0: Well, I mean, yeah, at that point, that point, you already can cut that team by, Uh, you know, nearly. Yeah. If you have, if you have, if high performers half and expect them to produce over goal, you know, that's an interesting, and and that's an interesting expectations, (laughs) right? When, when you, when that's a known expectation, it's publicly known that, Hey, we're hiring at this level with the expectation. And this is a, this is a strategy. I, I know this is a strategy. I've never deployed that strategy because it's come up in board meetings when I was at venture company venture backed companies of like, well, you know, that's not okay that your reps are all your ups are, are uh, expected to uh, perform above quota. Well, why not? Like my goal is to make them as successful as possible and incentivize them to keep crushing, not sandbag, not hold back, not all these things. Well, yeah, I mean, most people will, will hire more and expect less, like, but that that mindset was yes. or was already a thought, yeah. and that thought is going to become reality. If you expect that your reps will produce at 70%, guess what they're gonna do? They're gonna produce yeah. at 70% or less because that's your expectation of them. Like, why would you like mm-hmm. to think about that? Think about uh, we we will go back to sports all the time. Okay, I mean, this is the mall, right? What if you feel the sports team?
1: <laughs> so mm-hmm. hey
0: guys. And we, we expect you to win 70% yeah. of the time. Expect I'm that. Very, I expect you
1: to only perform at 70% of every game that you take the field for us. Yeah, That's it. That's the expectation. expectation? Well, it doesn't necessarily fit my mindset well, or most of the people that I know. Why would it work in a professional environment? It's probably the professionalization of sales still hasn't taken effect, though. Right, let's think about that for a second. Seven million sellers in the world, something like that. Um, Is it that many? Yeah, across all sort of industries, B2B sellers, it's not absolutely crazy. Right. Um, only sort of half of them are even getting close to greater. Um That means that there's half that are just simply sucking salary and cost out of businesses. Obviously, there's other stuff, right? Product market fit, timing, conversations, reputational stuff. There's all these other things that can have a massive impact. But, I mean, why be in in that career at all if you're not going to be striving to be over 100%? So it's about, as much about interviewing companies as it is about companies interviewing candidates. I think the one thing that caught, caught my attention this week beyond the prospect of mine that's looking at such an aggressive hiring plan was this, which is, what's the right number of interview steps for a candidate? And for me, it's always make it really hard for candidates to say yes. Yeah. We're in a supposed sort of gully of of capability and and people right now. But, you know, the reality is, make it hard for them to say yes. Keep dragging them through a process. Keep dragging them through a process. Keep dragging them through a process. Keep finding reasons for them to not be good at the job keep communicating that back to them. And if they're still stood fighting at the end of it, it means one of two things. They either really want to work for you or they've shown the inherent attributes required to succeed in a process-driven environment that you're trying to create. Yeah, and I'd start that process off with assessment. Start with assessment. Look for the will to sell. That's the only thing that ever matters. Goes back to your book. Goes back to how the sales do things, right? Attributes. Do they have the will to sell? Do they have the will to get shit done? You can be the most talented salesperson in the world, but if you don't have the will to sell, you don't have that resilience and that mental toughness, maybe you shouldn't be in the career. It's a design process which strips away all of the talent and just leaves exposed, naked, this will, this desire to sell, compulsion. Your good friend of mine, Bradley, we talk about it all the time, Brad. A compulsion to do it. Not just a will to do it; compulsion, like it eats away. Find those people. If you found twenty of those people, they will outperform the hundred and fifty people that that prospect of mine is considering hiring. Evenly, and,
0: and I think that that's the that's another debated topic because I've been in my process at Inside Sales Bootcamp. Um, I found an assessment that I thought was very accurate for assessing the native DNA for somebody who may be good at, you know, prospecting, you know, the, the hunting, the, the, what I think is really selling The other stuff is, you know, it's a skill, you can learn it. Um, but the innate ability that everyone struggles with and and why you're hiring new sales, why you're hiring 150 people. I don't think there's that much demand. I wouldn't think again, goes back to definition. So you would expect that they are hunting and getting their own new business development and, and having referrals and all that stuff is, is, It's one skill set, but that's not, uh, that's not going to get you where you need to be. Like, can you, can you aggress the word aggressive gets people too, but that's what it is. Can you aggressively attack your market, um, without any worry of, uh, what might happen? Like, uh, can you get kicked in the teeth and be told no a million times as you go and develop your territory, um, because you passionately genuinely believe in the product or service that you're representing, um. How, how do you find those individuals? Mm-hmm. Um, the assessment I found tend to do that in a pretty, pretty predictable way. And I started to use that exclusively in the beginning. I was a little hesitant and, you know, everyone has their opinion and you start to listen to other people, but I started to look at the data, right? Those who came in and scored a certain number in certain categories yeah. tended to move on from our program, get into roles and become top performers and, and move, move through those organizations as some of the best hires, those who uh, scored a certain number below that tended to be pain in the asses. Didn't actually weren't coachable. Um, and then weren't actually, they were actually let go of those organizations, you know, fairly straightforward. Once I have that information to say, Hey, I start here and, and just use that as a way to, to, to cut through the noise and start here. And I had some people who had taken that assessment when I was at the sales developers to use the same one, get pretty upset about it. Like, Hey, that's pretty kind of sucks that I, I can't go any further. Because your assessment says I'm not good enough. I've been doing this or that. It's like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but this is just, however, my process. This is yeah. just the process. If I scored low for one day or another and I lost it because of this, hey, there's many other opportunities in the world. I'm not the only company hiring. So uh, <laughs> anyway, in any case, that's a great first step. It's very controversial, but uh, to me, I think that you know we're at a point in our world where uh, we can – Tend to, we could debate it, but I, I think that most people understand that there is a personality trait, a, a core, you know, mental toughness, the stuff that we talked about before with uh, um, hey. D- Dr. Doug. These types of things are innate. And some of that stuff can be learned, the, the skills can be developed, but if I'm trying to build a high performance team, do they have the attributes necessary to start where I need them to start? Um, and that is a very good starting point. So if you're not using assessments, I highly recommend. Yeah. check checking those out, it, it's going to save you a tremendous amount of time and well, right. pain down the road.
1: Yeah. No. And actually, what, what we'll do for this episode today is I'll curate a couple of like, uh, resource notes on, on some of the tooling and systems that, that we can, can use to help get closer to the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, like you, break believer in assess first. Oh Don't care if people feel jaded that the assessment is the gating the mechanism for the process. It is what it is. Like my risk, not your risk at this point. If you don't meet the criteria, yeah. we'll give you the feedback and then you can use that as a work on. Maybe most companies don't do that, they put you through the test, don't give you the results other than pass fail, and then don't help you help help your candidates. It creates a lot of goodwill. Oh, 100%. You, when you're using yeah, assessment,
0: I, using the assessments, you can't yeah. just say, Hey, you didn't pass, fail. So, or, yeah. and, and, and that's actually one of the positive values of it, too, because now you have a reason to not. I don't know what it is with with recruiters and even sales sales. It's like you drag people along when you're like not really a fit. It's just tell them why are mm-hmm. you why can't you tell them it's a no so they can move on too? It's it's really frustrating. They, they just ghost them. You're just ghosting candidates, it's not doing your organization very much uh, good for your reputation. So this provides a reason. Hey, we, we've got your assessment results, it's a no, let's go through why, and maybe you can use that as a way to you know get better in your next. You know, the next opportunity you have in an organization similar to us or, um, you know, at some point in the future with us, maybe who knows, but uh, that, that your, your position right now is that you don't have what we need to be successful. And here's why. And here's why. And if we're looking yeah. at resources, if we're looking at resources, then, you know, Lori, Lori Richardson at, at Score More Sales is a great resource for this. She's objective management certified for
1: years and years and years i mean i, I love dave Curlin and omg is my go-to I, I use omg music connect and sell um i've only ever seen success from it when i've not used it i failed funny I mean, mm-hmm. you know because i don't know what questions to ask i go into something blind i allow candidate personality charisma and vision to overwhelm my opinion rather than taking a data-led approach one you know, one weakness for me is I still have this innate desire to be liked at times, while I'm working on it all the time. So I don't want to have confrontational interviews, but by having a structured process allows me to, to screen, validate, assess and maintain discipline without allowing my gut instinct and my human nature to take over. And that's the bit that most people seem to want to circumnavigate is the, the evidence piece. So if I was going to design a process from scratch today, how would I go about it? I would design in attributes. I'd use a couple of different models to, to, to recalibrate data throughout the entire process all the way through to the end. I'd use OMG and I'd be using that to just basically get a sense of will, desire traits, that inherent will to sell. You pass that, then you're into in the next piece. Um, Mark Roberge. Well, HubSpot, he created an awesome, easy-to-sort model. I've got a copy of it, which we'll put in the show notes today. 25 hiring attributes that can all be measured and weighted and scored quantitatively, even qualitative skill sets, like likability and and so on. Use that to create a perfect pro forma of the types of questions and assessment criteria you want your candidate to go through when they now enter the validation phase post-assessment. Key point to success there is have a tolerance for failure in certain requirements. You know nobody's going to score nine out of ten. Use that to design, not your Brad Pitt hire, but your you know Harvey Keitel hire. You know we're not going for Hollywood glamour in most of these jobs. So where's your tolerance? Is it below the line at twenty percent of the score? Brilliant. But know what your your north star questions are in that entire process. Then I'm going role play, but I'm not role playing in an interventional sense. Okay. I'm doing what Challenger did to me when I was interviewing there. I'm sending out a sc- a brief 12 hours before the final interview. And that candidate was 12 hours to prepare a detailed discovery meeting with a senior decision maker. And that scenario is going out to them 12 hours before. Testing for agility, ability to prepare, ability to ask questions, and ability to think structurally and logically through, a- through an assessment and then I'm going to take that feedback and I'm going to use all three of those points to triangulate and my decisions are high. And then my last step is culture. That's the very last thing that I look for. Will they work with the team, not first team. the first thing?
0: I agree with all those steps. The one thing that, uh, going back to uh, recent had an opportunity to listen to rich divinity speak uh on the attributes pieces what you can do on that 12 hour brief too is you know right when they show up switch it on them yeah now and now you're really it's not even about their ability to pair etc but it's it's about how do they now perform in this stressed environment do they get frustrated with the fact that you did that because you know you're not assessing on how well did they perform in that that presentation but how do they how do they actually pivot and engage and ask questions all the same things that you would expect them to do but that to me was a a big interesting breakthrough for um, uh
1: that's okay that's really all right you want to
0: you want you want to see how they react because that that's going to actually pull out their true colors because that's what you're trying to do is you're trying to get to their attributes. And I mean, that th- this is not, it's not uncommon in, in sales that you do that. You know, I don't know. I've spent countless hours preparing and, you know, show up the next day and, you know, they either completely dismiss the meeting and altogether, which is, you know, how do you get back from there? Like, what is your, how do you get them back on track to uh, give you an opportunity to hear you out? Are they even a good fit or not? What, do, what are the decisions that you start to make? Um, or they completely change direction. You know, hey, we, we, we thought we were interested in this. Now we're interested in that. You know, what is this about? Um, you know, what do you do to uh, uh, address that situation? You know, <laughs> one solution, just be like, hey, okay, we can't have this meeting. Let me prepare again. You know, like that could be a solution. Who knows? But, you know, how do you re- how do you react to that? Um, and and yeah. what are the, what are the, uh, the ways that you manage out of that. and you're not you're not assessing again for what they say and do when you swap it out. It's completely completely different. You're just seeing the raw attributes of of their behavior. Um, and is that something that fits into the culture going back to each other? the culture and the the uh, the requirements that you need, the gaps that you have on your team today um, to be successful in the role that you're looking to fill. Um, and sales is interesting again, it, it, this all goes back to, what is this sales position because there's so many different definitions of what sales is. And, um, and that's going to vary from industry organization. um, And even within the organization uh, by team, (laughs) but I'm, I'm, I'm actually, um, I'm actually one that that thinks that I, I like the idea that culture lasts, but you know, culture is super important not for the fact that it's going to make an impact on the organization's ability to be successful or not but you know i'm i personally as a rep want to feel like these are people i want to work with and it's not just about the job and the leadership but it's the also the co- the colleagues that you work around yeah because that is important and it's it's not just about do i fit in with you but do you fit in with For me, exactly. No, I agree. But I think sometimes
1: we overindex it as the primary point of selection in 2021, over and above everything else. You know, and that's because people seem to forget that they need to go to work to work. Yeah. Not to fit into the machinations of a culture cog, which is disrespectful of your personal time and the things that you need to do to get your job done and be successful. That's culture, give people meaningful work to do that they can invest in emotionally, physically, psychologically and analytically, but still allow them to, to execute the other parts of their life, like take the dog out for a walk or play with their kid or play rugby or go swing a golf bat or do Peloton or whatever else it is. What What's happened is in the VC boom of the 90s through to today, put money to work, get offices, hire an army of people, Fail fast, learn badly, hire more people, fail slow, and repeat that cycle inevitably until you're in a Series G down round or whatever it might be. Founders have lost all of their equity in the company and now in debt to investors. Terrible situation. So to make that more palatable, Ryan, what do we do? We stick people in shiny offices. We tell them they can bring the dog to work. We give them beer, um, beer fridges, and one ptm that's my culture
0: well the, the i mean i had a really good conversation again i, I mentioned this in the last with with a you know the head of an accelerator program who's responsible for bringing in um businesses he's the landlord for this building that gives them free rent in exchange for um, you know, a piece of their business and upside and, you know, all these things that, and, and, you know, access to their recruiting network and, and it's an accelerate, right? Accelerator program. And he was completely frustrated with the lack of, um, focus on what makes the most sense in, in, a, in a business is not how beautiful your product is and the color of your buttons, which a lot of them tend to do or their vision, but is how many conversations are you having with the market and will people buy your shit, Right. And, and and it was like it was the most it was the most straightforward conversation because in my mind I'm like, isn't that how all of you investors should be thinking? And he's like, no, Ryan, mm-hmm. like, here's the problem in, in the venture capital world is you know, they they need one unicorn and their whole fund's yeah. taken care of, right? And so yeah. and, and so now what they're it seems to me like they're failing so badly that they're they're actually Creating unicorns by throwing more money at the problem. I don't know if these are real unicorns. So think- so that they can go, it's a big Ponzi scheme. And he even said this is a Ponzi scheme. He's yeah, like, this is a Ponzi scheme. We don't have revenue, it's a Ponzi scheme. So what I'm thinking, this is me going off, off tangent here, but it goes right back to the problem is hey, let's go manufacture unicorns by hyperinflating this valuation that then allows us to say, hey, this company's worth a lot of money to go raise more money,
1: money. And just repeat yeah. the
0: cycle. It's insane. And I'm, I'm thinking we are, we are in a freaking crazy world because going all the way back to what's the model that works 70, 80% expectation is failure. It's even worse in venture capital expectation is failure. And now it's the, the failure is so bad. They've actually expectation becomes reality. That the 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 solution is we just need one unicorn. Well, shit! How do we do that? Well, we we create them. Have you watched? Have you fucking watched WeWork?
1: Like recruitment (laughs) is the artifact of that broken system, and that's why I wanted to mention it quickly as we we think about landing the plane. Um, There are ways to mitigate poor recruitment. In summary, it comes from assess. Um, test, measure, role play, screen for values and culture, um, but drive people to know. You know, make oh. it a self-selecting process. where candidates don't necessarily want to really deal with it. Well, and, and in sales,
0: you got to get a, you got to get away from this. Is the final piece on the recruitment processes post-recruitment, but it's just like it's just like when you're bringing in. I mean, if you can if you can get away with this, you should create trial periods. Yeah, I know that that's couldn't. very that's very fucking controversial, but. Look, if sure. someone comes in and isn't getting to a certain stage within 90 days, I don't give a shit about what your ramp is and sales cycle, et cetera. There are key milestones that people need to be doing right out the gate that will dictate the success and failure of them being a productive member of your sales organization starting day one wow. Yeah, that, that you could quickly get in and get out. So whether it's a week trial period, a ninety-day trial period, whatever it might be, and I think it's good for both parties. My, I mean, if if I was ever to take take a sales job again, if I ever did that, won't happen. But if I did, um, uh, I would I would ask for that. Say, hey, look, this all sounds good. You know, give me a list. I want to make calls for a week. Let me tell you if I want to. Let me tell you if everything you just told me is true or not, because I'll know in a week if I can actually make my quota or not, because I know this works. I don't need to be closing business to know if I can actually close business or not with what you've told me so far. And then after that week, if it doesn't look good and I I let you know, hey, these are my concerns and and you don't address them in the way that I would want them to be addressed, like, oh, wow, that's some in- interesting learning. Let's make a pivot. Let's make an adjustment. There's a different compensation model based on that. As an example, then I would walk. If they say, holy shit. Thank you. You're saving some problems. How might we go about getting, what do you think this actually should be now that you know this? Well, let's try again. I don't know yet, but let's try this or that. And now it's an experiment and that could go 90 days. Um, and you could learn quite a bit, but how many salespeople out there are going to do that? You know, I, I I guarantee you someone's listening to me like Ryan, you're fucking nuts. I would never do that. Right. I want a job. I want to, I want to be in a job and it takes forever. No, it doesn't. Like you know, very quickly, if you're given a territory, one, do they even have the freaking list for you in the first place? Do they know who they want to be doing business with in your territory if you're provided territory? <laughs> what resources are they providing behind that list to make it easy for you to go and start conversations with them? How easy is it for you to just show up into your CRM and make calls? Do they even use the CRM? You know, is it, that, that's a big red flag. Top performers should want to use
1: CRM. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Keenan, Keenan's been talking about it a lot recently, and it absolutely
0: resonates. I'll know in one week if I showed up as a rep of a, of a company going to 150. Can you imagine the freaking problems dealing with being successful as a sales rep when you're going from whatever it is to 150, and I show up day one, and I like it's it's analysis paralysis. It's so bad. I, I experienced this at Sprinkler when we got acquired from Bushaka. There's just layers and layers and layers. Like... Anytime I wanted to do something, it would take me literally three to four weeks before I could get approval to even start the research on a list because of all the different people. And then once yeah. I went through that process, I had to reapprove it before, like I'd have to then do the work, then reapprove it again, just, just in case someone missed it before I started outreach because God you know, God forbid I talked to somebody at an account that's already being worked by somebody else type of thing. And there was just like so many layers of rules and engagement. That's a huge red flag. Like it's really, really, really difficult to be successful situations now again define sales as what is your job then you're an order taker and someone just tells you to do something once it comes to you if you want that job great but awesome. That that's that's just a different different environment so anyway i, I digress Hardly. i think not land there a trial period if you can get away with it and i think that top i think that this is my hypothesis i think top performers would want that paid i'm
1: yeah. not, not saying i'm <laughs> yeah. not
0: saying do it for free yeah, yeah. pay them but don't pay put him, them on pay the, pay the salary. salary
1: pro it do what you need to do but put that in you know contractual obligation we're gonna probate you you probate us no harm no foul no reputational issues we'll refer right. you brilliantly so you make it as compelling as possible and then you just you push on to that compelling event you go yeah i can i can make my million here or not and be fine i need to walk away Really, really intelligent way to look at the world, Ryan. I think we'll land the plane there. Um, we can roll over some of that, that stuff into next week's topic, see, see how much demand, and then I'll put some of those resources and, and, and backlinks into the show notes for, for, for this week's episode so that anybody can download that content and, and figure out how to deploy it for themselves. Um, have a great week, and uh, guys, we'll mall we'll again next week. Enjoy the
0: rest of your time off, brother. Cheers. Yeah, bye, man.